All right, welcome everyone to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. Yes, our shows still have no individualized names because as, you know, if you listened to the show last week, you know this, for the month of May, we are playing kind of musical chairs with our various hosts and other guests and things like that. And so today, instead of being joined by Anthony Irwin or any of you hearing Sasha and Sabrina, who normally do Monday show, I'm joined by Alex Regla of Silver Screen and Roll. Alex, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good, Harrison. Thanks for having me on. I- I've been really loving this uh, musical chairs you're running over here. It's really fun. Yeah, actually, you saying my name reminded me. I should probably introduce myself. I am Harrison Fagan. I don't think that I said <laughs> that in the intro. As you can tell, I don't normally host these, so we'll see. The- this is going to be interesting. I think this will be the um, uh, this this will really be the test for the musical chairs thing because now we're putting somebody into a role that they aren't normally in, and uh, that that's sometimes where things get either their best or their worst. So I can't promise what kind of podcast you guys are in for, but I do think it's going to be pretty good. Alex, uh, I'm bringing the reason I'm bringing Alex on today is not just because he's great in general, but also because uh, you are working on a series for Silver Screen and Roll this week. It's either going to start on Monday or Tuesday, depending on... We also have a feature coming from Christian, and so it's going to slightly depend on like when that is ready and when that drops. So it'll be starting Monday or Tuesday. Alex is going. It has been taking a look over the last couple weeks at all at the core four young guys on the Lakers. So Alex, do you want to intro the... Pre- or actually, hold on. Before I do that, uh, just as a reminder, you can find the show on iTunes, uh, Spotify, tune in like pretty much anywhere you want to find podcasts you can find it and if you leave us a five-star review that really helps us out so if you enjoy the show we don't ask for any money for it or anything like that it's just if you enjoy the show if it makes your week better if you enjoy if it helps the work day go by a little quicker if you could just leave us a five-star review that helps us out a ton we're trying to grow this thing and continue to build it out um but anyway so now that with that kind of pushed to the side alex uh, give us a little bit of a preview like a cliff notes of what your next step series is and what we're going to be talking about today yeah sure so i thought it would be like a fun thought experiment to look at each of the four you know young guys and if i can make up like a nba summer school type class for each one i thought it'd be fun to look at each of these guys strengths and weaknesses and kind of assign them courses in a way like a summer school class so josh hart i focused on his mid-range game or lack of and for Lonzo, I focused on having him improve his efficiency enough to be about average level to kind of supplement his really good other skills. So I thought it'd be a fun, you know, thought experiment to kind of look at each of these guys and say, what are they good at? What do they need to get better at? And kind of lay out a little plan into how they can do that and then look at the numbers and see why they're weak at what they're weak at. And try to figure out why they're, they've struggled thus far in their young careers and kind of give them a little mini curriculum on how to get better and how to kind of reach their potential and the, the next step of that process. So um, I'm really excited about the series. Like you said, I've been working on it for a few weeks. I've uh, looked at a lot of film and looked at a lot of numbers. And I think once uh, the games are over and you have time to kind of go back and reflect on these guys, and it's it's really fun to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture, but also dig in and see what they need to improve in. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for everyone to, to read it. 
Yeah, and I, I'm I've been you you all should be excited to read it because I've been editing these things as we've been going and they're really good. It's really good information. We're going to talk about all of that in a few minutes. But before we completely throw like get into the next step thing, I do think that we should touch on the biggest news of kind of the weekend or I guess it's, it started on Friday. Unfortunately, after our Friday podcast episode dropped, but it, it looks very much like Tyron Lou. If you have just like been living under a rock all week, weekend, <laughs> which congratulations, you're better off if you've been off social media. Um, but it, you know, Tyron Lue, it's looking like is going to be the next head coach of the Lakers. This will probably get announced today or over the next couple of days by the time that you're listening to it, or it will get officially announced on Sunday night after we record this. We're recording it Sunday afternoon, but it seems like it's pretty much in the bag. Monty Williams, who was the other kind of, he, he, he had been talked about as the front runner before he went to Phoenix. And then all of a sudden there was a lot of reporting that like, oh, the Lakers first option was always Tyron Lue. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's like a nice spin zone to make it sound <laughs> like, uh, you know, like that you didn't get like uh, spurned. But uh, honestly, I think the Lakers are better off. And if Tyron Lue, even if he wasn't always their top, top option, he uh, he probably always should have been because uh, like they're negotiating with him now and it sounds like the deal is going to get done soon. They were starting that process on Friday. So uh, I think we can talk about it kind of as if it's happened. And then, you know, after we do this, they'll announce that it's actually Jason Kidd just because <laughs> happens when we record whole podcasts on things. But I, I think, Alex, I don't know how you feel about Tyron Luke because we haven't talked about it a whole lot, but mm-hmm. I feel like this is the right decision. I think the getting a guy with good spacing principles to put and build out around LeBron, somebody that's shown to have success building an offense around LeBron James and is shown to be able to make like the types of playoff adjustments that help you win series. Like we saw that repeatedly in Cleveland. I just think like, yes, I'm not saying that Tyron Lue is the second coming of Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich or anything like that. But out of a very flawed candidates list, I think that he is easily the best option. I don't know. How do you feel? No, no, I agree. Uh, like like you said, there there wasn't that many options that they looked at. There was uh, Monty Williams, like you said, Jawan Howard. And uh, of those three candidates that they looked at, Ty Lue had the best uh, resume in terms. He has a championship experience. He's he's worked with LeBron, like you mentioned, uh Pete's doing a really good video series where he's kind of laying out his spacing principles, like you mentioned. And uh, you could envision guys like Brandon Ingram and LeBron and Lonzo really benefiting from a more spaced out offense. And that's what makes me most most excited about Ty Lue with this roster is that last season we saw this this team so congested in that paint. And uh, I'm really interested to see what these young guys look like in a more spaced out offense. And also, just under a different coach, like uh, Luke Wil- uh, Luke Walton was at the greatest X and O's guy. He was a really good locker room guy, and I think that's why a lot of people were kind of turned off by Monty Williams. They thought he'd be just another Luke Walton, like a 2.0. Yeah. So I-, I think with Ty Lue, we get a different look at these young guys and what they can actually look like under a, a more modern offense. And that's what makes me most excited about it. Uh, did, what about Jawan Howard? Is that was he someone that you thought could have been a real candidate, or I, I thought you know, like I, I thought in a different world, obviously where the Lakers aren't trying to win now. Like there's some, you know, there there's some like. Uh, pros to taking a shot at a guy that you know we really don't know about like he either could end up being really good uh, he does he certainly has a good resume that would lead you to believe he might be a strong a promising head coach at some point um but at the same time the laker the thing that i just keep coming back to and i talked about this on wednesday's show last week was that like 
you already have a guy that you know can maximize LeBron. So mm-hmm. why gamble that you can get a guy that can maximize LeBron more than Tyron Lue? I'm just not sure yeah. that that's worth it. But I actually, I, I want to go back to a point that you made uh, when you were talking about this. And I, because this is interesting, I hadn't really thought about it through this lens, or at least not as much as we have. There's been so much talk of Ty Lue is a LeBron guy. Like the people that don't like this move have been complaining that it's just the Lakers doing what LeBron wants, or it's just evidence that LeBron is running the franchise. Now there's like a whole other debate to be had about whether or not that's really something to be worried about considering the other options to be running the franchise, like within these, like this group of power brokers. Like I know that people are, there are a lot of people that are turned off by the idea of a player having that much power, but LeBron is probably the best basketball mind among everyone involved with the Lakers right now. And so I don't know that you should necessarily be afraid that he has too much power over basketball decision-making and things like that. But in any case, like aside from that, that seems to be the chief complaint that Ty Lue is just a LeBron guy. And I think most people have looked at this through the lens of, okay, but he can get the most out of LeBron. Here are all these LeBron related reasons why it's good. I actually, I, I hadn't thought about it a whole lot as far as the young guys. I, I think, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think that this is an interesting chance to get a guy that, you know, this is provided the Lakers actually signed some shooters around to space the floor this summer, uh, unlike last year. So, <laughs> But if they actually do that and even just better spacing principles, will you would think help you get better threes and threes that you're more likely to make. And then that will like Brandon Ingram is, you know, uh, like I'm sure we'll talk about this when we talk about him, but he's an amazing driver already. And and he's already gotten better at finishing around length. Imagine if there's a little bit less length or a little less congestion as he's trying to get those shots off. Exactly that Brandon Ingram is the one guy I when they when they talked about bringing Ty Lue in that that excited me most to see what he could look like in a system where it's spaced out like we look at Milwaukee what they're doing right now with Giannis and yeah. with Coach Bud and I I just envision Ingram in a spaced out five out offense where he can run primary pick and roll and then he could drive in and he doesn't have to worry about bumping it to Rondo or McGee in the paint just sitting there or something yeah. I, I I can just I, I envision the difference between a Jason Kidd offense and a Coach Bud offense. I, I'm not saying that Walton is as bad as Kidd or anything, but I, I, I just I, I'm really interested in seeing what the young guys look like with a different philosophy in place and and how a more uh, like rigid structure of, of setting screens, relocating properly, make helps them develop and helps their improvement. I it could raise their trade value. It could raise their their player worth, it could just make them look better overall. And I think that's the biggest thing with this Ty Lue thing. Like you said, working with LeBron's definitely a big, you know, cap in his feather. But if he can make these young guys also look better at the same time, I think it's a, it just makes the most sense of all these candidates in my eyes. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that gives me faith about him was there was that report that he was trying to get Tom Thibodeau to be his lead assistant, which it sounds like that's not going to happen. It sounded like pretty immediately that Tom Thibodeau was like, no, I really want to be a head coach. And that's fine. Like, you know, I I don't think that that's any failure on Ty Lue's part. You know, you might as well try. But what that tells me outside of that he would want Tom Thibodeau as his lead assistant is that he is not afraid to bring in a guy that is a legitimate vo- proven voice in the room, which like mm-hmm. of all the criticisms of Walton, uh, like as a coach that was kind of the most cogent one to me was that he really you know like he tried to bring in his buddies and you know there's an argument to be made for that for familiarity and bringing in people that you trust and everything but after a couple years when it really wasn't working in large part with a lot of these guys the unwillingness to make some changes like the Lakers reportedly like multiple reports across multiple reporters have talked about how Walton was unwilling a big part of the reason they were fed up with him was that he was unwilling to change his assistant coaching 
staff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, the fact that Ty Lue is, he doesn't have the, e- and Walton's wasn't necessarily an error, or error of ego. It was more of an error of, like, possibly overbelief in the people that he believed in. But some coaches, it's an ego thing or it's, like, a job preservation thing. They don't want a guy there that, like, if they got fired could easily come in and take that take yeah. over that seat. The fact that Lou was willing to go after a guy like Thibodeau means that I, I think that's a positive sign for like the that he'd be willing to build out this consistent coaching staff with even if it's not Tibbs with some experienced guys that are not afraid to challenge him and are not and are like have a, have had a lot of success in this league unlike like some of the more unproven guys that Luke brought in and you know to mix results. So like I I think that's actually like uh, the other main benefit to bring him in outside of the other stuff that we've already talked about no i agree i i think being able to to recognize and admit your weaknesses like ty Lue's uh main criticism in cleveland was his his defensive numbers yeah. that that team had and and for him to right away in his interview kind of say i i I'm, i know i i need help with this i can go after this guy and he's got a proven track record of being a good defensive coach even though that's kind of changed over recent seasons but for him to be willing to go out and target guys who he thinks he could help him with his own weaknesses i think that speaks a lot about Ty Lue as a coach and not putting his ego aside and just focusing on what's best for this team and and that's that involves bumping up this staff and it's gonna be really interesting to see who he targets now with tibbs off the i guess off the market and what kind of assistance he goes after if he hires a shooting coach if he hires what whatever specific specialist he looks for so i Everything that's coming out with this Ty Lue story, I've been I've been pretty uh, pleased with. Yeah, I think there's reasons for ca- cautious optimism for sure. And the other thing about that assistant coaching stuff is that this will be indicative as well of how much the Lakers are willing to spend on like areas where they can spend and that that aren't capped and you like kind of flex their big market muscle because there's been a lot of theorizing about like, are the Lakers actually cheap and are they trying to, are they spending as much money as they could be on the basketball product? And this is going to be, I think somewhat illustrative of that to me. Yeah, that's a great point. Like you said, like they, they have all the advantages in the league and they just haven't used them. You know, we don't, we don't hear about their analytics department. We don't. We know famously they don't really have a shooting coach. We we never really hear these innovative stories come out about the Lakers. We hear about Milwaukee, what they're doing. These you know these modern devices they're implementing in their practices on the on the seats. They have warming chairs in their seats yep. and they're experimenting with different things. We never really hear these things about the Lakers, and they there's really no reason we shouldn't be. They have, like I said, they have their big huge market. They have a ton of money that there's no cap on these types of things they could spend on. We, I, I'd be really interested to see how this new front office without Magic and if Genie kind of puts more of an emphasis on building the basketball product and investing in, in the basketball product. Yeah, and so I think th- this is an easy segue because like o- outside of the basketball, pro- like the basketball product, there are other things that can improve that. And one of those things is for all of these young guys, or at least some of them, to take the natural steps forward that you expect at their age and at their level of experience, uh, at, at their level of experience. So I-, I think that the guy that we should talk about first is maybe the most polarizing, I think, of all of the young guys in Lonzo Ball, just like around the league and in what Lakers fans think of him and in just like what people... If you watch basketball, the chances are you have an opinion on Lonzo Ball, and it's either you think he can be really good or you think he's terrible. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of people that are just like, yeah, you know, Lonzo's all right. 
um, or like everyone wants to use these first two kind of minuscule sample size of his first two seasons yeah. because he hasn't really played half. He hasn't played in ha- half of these games. He, he's only played 99 games in his career so far. Um, and so, well, okay, so that's more than half, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at math. This is why we brought you on. Um, so w- l- let's talk a little bit about what uh, first of all what you talked i think at the beginning when you were plugging this about what you think lonzo uh-huh. needs to improve on but just what did you see in the numbers where is he at as far as his uh, as far as his finishing ability and uh, like what other areas of his game would you like to see improved so uh to answer the the finishing uh question he he actually took a, like pretty good steps forward this year in terms of his finishing numbers like I, I have to double check, but I think it was like at least ten percent increase in in his field goal percentage around the rim, which is that's a massive massive upgrade considering where he was at as a rookie. Um, in terms of overall, I, I think like you mentioned, Lonzo is such a polarizing guy because he's the things he's good at, he's like amazing at. Like I, I think he's a, a tremendous defender, like a uh, off ball defender, team defender. Yeah. Uh, He's been in the top 10 in both his first two years in the league in defensive real plus minus. Like, that's pretty remarkable. And he he puts up great rebounding numbers, assist numbers. His feels obviously, like, off the charts. But at, with those things that he's so good at, he's equally, like, just as bad at other things. Like, he's really, really poor in, like, almost every offensive number. Like, his from his free throw percentage to his uh, just general field goal percentage, he just needs to improve. He like I wrote in the the piece that's coming out. I, I just want him to be average. Like he he's so smart and he's such a good player. In all these other areas, if he could just be an average offensive player, I I I see this great talent that still can be developed and and kind of like unearthed with Lonzo. And I I just wish this summer he focuses on. St- well, he this is first full healthy summer, so he yeah. could actually work on all these things: his runners, his in between game, his finishing around the rim, his three point percentage. Like, if he can just become a league average point guard in terms of offense, I think he's he, he's so, he's so good at everything else that that's just the next step to unlocking everything. Well, and so you you had an interesting take, and like I think. It's not it's not a completely uncommon take uh, as far as what he needs to improve to be a better offensive player, but it is it's not the most common one, which the most common one is like, well, you know, you just you fix the jump shot, which is like that sounds so easy, right? But if you could just fix jump shots, you and I would be 40% and we wouldn't be here podcasting. We'd be making millions of dollars in the NBA. Like fixing a jump shot just because you're good at other things on the basketball court, that doesn't mean that you can just fix a shot. Like we've yeah. seen guys, you know, we've seen evidence of some guys can eventually figure it out. Like Jason Kidd, notably really late in his career, and a guy that Lonzo has been compared to at times, is a guy that figured out how to become like a knockdown marksman. And initially, like people would joke that he was Asin Kid because he didn't have a J. <laughs> um, but I think that as far as Lonzo, like you, you talking about him finishing around the rim, like why would that be so valuable for him versus just becoming a three-point shooter? Because I think that the three-point shooting, that would be great if he figures it out, but I don't think that that's as easy to fix necessarily as finishing around the rim you would think would be. Sure, and I think that goes back to his improved physique. I, I think last summer we saw his body get a lot stronger and a lot bigger, and we saw the results this you know this past season with yeah. his finishing. And I, it, playing off LeBron, you're going to get more cutting opportunities. You're going to get more chances to get you know leak outs and and cuts and dump offs. And him finish improving his finishing also just opens up his passing more. If a defender's chasing you know after you at the 
at the three-point line, you're attacking that closeout, and if other defenders have to come and help because they know you could finish now. You're not, you're not scared. You're not. You're. You're. They won't play you as much for the pass, and they have to challenge you at the rim. That opens up passing lanes that weren't there as a rookie, where guys would just they would just open up the lane for Lonzo to attack because they knew he couldn't finish. But if Lonzo proves he could, you know, attack and be aggressive. That draws extra defenders. That plays into his advantages that he has already of being such a good playmaker. And I think that's what the whole thing is. If he could just become okay on offense and leverage his playmaking, it opens everything else up. Yeah, and it's it's almost this like trickle down effect of if you become good at one thing, then people just uh, it's like you said, people have to guard you at that, and then all yeah. of a sudden that opens up things that weren't there before, and so it seems like such a small thing to just be able to make layups consistently, uh, especially which sounds easier than it is. You know, you're going up against seven footers and really athletic rim protectors. That's not like a given that you should always be able to. Not every player can do that with a ton of consistency, or everyone would be you know like James Harden and these other guys like that. But I I think that Lonzo like he doesn't have to get to that level but yeah if he can do that then all of a sudden you're going to see him be able to take advantage of his passing more you're going to see him become more valuable in the half court and all of a sudden he starts to look like the guy that everyone thought that he could be when he was coming out of UCLA as the number two pick and the only reason that he wasn't considered the number one pick was uh because Markel Fultz who like you know eventually obviously that's a whole different story but was considered like one of the most promising prospects in years and then just fell apart for like reasons that seemed to be mostly out of his control but Lonzo was right up there and he was considered like like a, a huge get for the Lakers and a transformative player. And he has been to some degree in terms of changing the way that they play with pace and everything on the floor and how much he impacts their defense. But he hasn't been an overall transformative player as far as everything that they do. No, yeah, I agree. And like you said, he, he his impact on the floor, you have to, it's, it's a really good gauge how you view Lonzo and how much you watch the Lakers is how you view him as a prospect because so much that he does isn't quantifiable. You can't look at the box yep. score and really measure how how much of a, a hand Lonzo had in the game. We, we've seen when Lonzo's out last season, it, it it really alters how the Lakers play from their transition numbers to their defensive numbers. He just, in in many ways, he is their identity. He's their their engine. He they play as he plays. If he if it's a good Lonzo game, it's almost always a good Laker game. And it's those games where he struggles or kind of floats around or disappears that. It, it leaves you wanting more from him because he's flashed that he's capable of doing those things that so many people thought he would be coming out of UCLA. Like he's such a good defender. Like it's, it's, I, I know there's like a, a narrative that he's like, maybe he's not as good as we think he is, but we've seen when he's off the floor, how it really impacts that team and how yep. they play. And he's just so active and his energy just runs through the whole roster that I, I think there's so much there in Lonzo that's still, waiting to be like de- like developed and unearthed and hopefully with this whole family drama that's going on put behind him and a full healthy summer we finally see that Lonzo that we expected to see coming out of UCLA. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So I, I think I, I want to move on to the rest of these three guys and Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma, and Brandon Ingram, but we are going to do that after a really quick break. All right, so I think the guy, let, let's just talk about him now, because I think this is the guy that everybody wants to hear about uh, as as much as Lonzo is Brandon Ingram. They're like, uh, you know, they're both former number two overall picks. They're both guys that this franchise, to some degree, is riding on panning out. And Ingram, I think, obviously had a very different season than Lonzo, like a much louder kind of breakout than Lonzo did. Like Lonzo had a, a couple nice games 
kind of towards uh, like after it was before the trade deadline and before he got hurt he was really on a roll and he showed some promise but not in the way that Ingram did where he was scoring 30 all the time and you know was just like really scoring at a high level which is the easiest thing to notice and I think that mm-hmm. a lot of Lakers fans justifiably are very excited about Brandon Ingram and so like where he's obviously made some improvements to his game or he wouldn't be able to do that and I was most heartened honestly last year by how he was able to kind of see while he was off the floor and while he was out with injury what was wrong in terms of his chemistry with LeBron and how yeah like that why they weren't having success and he made that adjustment where he flipped mm-hmm. the switch and he's like oh I see where I where I get my opportunities now and it was almost like he just needed to watch LeBron up close for a little while and really just from the bench figured out how to be a more effective player but like where where do you think that he can go next so in my piece, I uh, there's been a lot of talk about when it comes to Ingram, what he needs to do to get better. And it usually it revolves about around his, like you said, his usage and how he operates next to LeBron. And I, although that's really important, like you said, he, he made big strides with that towards the end of the season. The area that I focused on within the article was I really want to see him be more of an impact player on the defensive end and in other areas of the game by using his length. I, I think we haven't seen him use his long wingspan as much as yeah. I think the narrative is. If you watch like national TV games, they, they notice how long he is and that, oh, he's probably this great defender. But really, if you kind of look at the numbers and compare him to other guys with physical, same similar physical heights and spans, he's actually pretty far below where they're at. And in the article, I listed some numbers in terms of where he ranks, like in deflections and steals and in rebounds. And he's actually really, really poor in those areas for someone with his physical gifts. And I think that although he made some really good strides this season on defensive end, I think he got a lot better. And and he was such a a lot better individual defender this year. Yeah, I I really want to see him impact the game in other ways outside of scoring. I think... Scoring, he's going to get his points from the free throw line, from working off LeBron and hopefully taking some more threes. But if he can start becoming this this like terror on the defensive end with his 7, 3, 7, 4 wingspan, I think you're going to see a, a brand new Brandon Ingram, a two-way Brandon Ingram that's like the defensive monster that we think he could be. And in the in the article itself, I mentioned like he has a lower steal rate than guys like Jalil Okafor and Cal Korver. Which is oh, like don't say pretty, that. okay. I'm gonna bleep that. <laughs> it, it's true. Like and it like uh, like for fans, you have to kind of take a step back and kind of look at the bigger picture because as fans, we get really invested in these guys and we think they're good defenders or good at these things and and uh, bad at other things. But when you actually compare them to other players, you kind of get a better grasp of what they're really good at or where they struggle at. So with Brandon, I I would love to see him. You know, get his hand in more. And get more deflections, disrupt more passing lanes, and just use that length and height that he has because it's so enticing. It's so there's so much potential there. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that is an error in the way that a lot of us view basketball. And this is not like me saying that I'm so much smarter and I never am prone to this because I think all of us fall prey to this sometimes when we see we see a guy with long arms. We're like, oh, he should be good at defense. So he is. And Brandon Ingram, he did have like you mentioned, he made strides as a defender this year. I thought uh, most notably his games against Luka Doncic, who was like tearing up the whole league against everyone else. And then somehow Brandon Ingram just decided like, oh, I guess I'm 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 the Doncic stopper now. And those were like the four those 
those were the four games or however many he actually played against the Mavericks where he really locked in on that end as an individual defender. But I think that I, I thought that Luke, you know, for all of the criticism that he took, did a pretty good job of figuring out roles where Kuzma and Ingram could have success defensively. Uh, like as the season went on, I think to start with, it wasn't necessarily the greatest, but yeah, you're right. And the the thing is, so when we're talking about improvements for young players to make, it's almost always, I'm, I'm glad you took this angle because it's almost always like, what can they do offensively? Because mm-hmm. that's the thing that's easiest to look at in the numbers. It's the thing that is the easiest to pick up when you're watching, but like Brandon Ingram becoming a legitimately good defender, like his physical attributes suggest that he could be, would be so huge for the Lakers because all of mm-hmm. a sudden, like not only is he scoring the ball at a high level with a low usage rate playing off of LeBron and he's doing all of it, like Ian, you know, he has some playmaking skills and he does some other things like that. But if he's all of a sudden creating fast break opportunities and all of it, like to get out and transition more for himself and for others by getting these deflections and tipping balls and uh, even maybe defending the rim a little bit as a weak side defender. Like again, yeah. the, the Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram comparison is so played out. I'm not comparing him to Kevin Durant, <laughs> but just in the way that Kevin Durant is a taller wing who sometimes drops down to protect the rim. And his he became that over the course of his career. Yeah. That was not always where he was. You have to learn those instincts and like learn the timing of it and as hard as Brandon Ingram works I don't think there's any reason to not believe that he can eventually figure that out as long as he's able to stay healthy and you know obviously the big elephant in the room here is the blood clots thing which it sounds like is taken care of from the medical information that we have publicly but it's just impossible to know until we see him get back out there yeah I think you hit I think you hit on all those points like when we discuss young players specifically, it's always how do they get better offensively, like you said. And I think with Ingram, it's important to remember, like one of the first things that came out of Magic Johnson's mouth was that I want Ingram to be a 20 point, 20 point scorer next year. And I'll be disappointed. I'll be disappointed if he doesn't score 20 points per game. Yeah, it was like and no pressure young, Magic. <laughs> yeah. And as a young player, you're like, oh, who cares about defense if my yeah. president of basketball operations and Laker legends like puts this importance on a point total? Like, why should I care about these other areas of the game that don't involve scoring? So I think that's with the new coaching staff and a new mindset, which I wrote about in the article. I hope that Ingram opens up the other parts of his game and realizes that the points are going to come just to bring that ridiculously long and driving to the paint, you're always going to get fouled. You're always going to get free throws. LeBron's going to get you easy points. But if you can cause like havoc on the other end, and like you said, start fast break opportunities, grab these defensive rebounds, even if you're boxed out, because he's so long, he could just soar over people. And I think he becomes a totally different player and more two-dimensional. And just, you see, again, if you want his trade value to rise, if you want to trade him, that helps also. Like you want to put these guys in the best spots to optimize their own value from a individual player wise and from a team value if you're going to trade them down the down the road, and that's been the biggest frustration with this Lakers team is they've kind of pigeonholed their players and they've kind of lowered their asset value and their actual basketball value at the same time. So I, I'm really hopeful and uh, I, I really think Ingram is going to have a breakout year next year if he can stay healthy and he kind of could target these things I listed on the article. Yeah, I, I actually haven't edited that one specifically yet. So that's my bad before doing the show. But I, I guess <laughs> I, the, the one question I have left is, did you touch on the fact that he should be able to be a better defender just because he looks like he's asleep half the time? So guys like may not be coming <laughs> for those deflections or... <laughs> 
I, 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 that's on my, that's my bad. I left that part out. Okay, I, I should have like, I'll add it in. I got to look up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, on, honestly, he should like, I, I'm, I'm half joking, but you would think like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if guys are looking out of the corner of their <laughs> eyes and like one guy looks like his eyes are half closed. Like, you know, <laughs> like he just, I don't know. He just always looks tired, but he like, he seems to be in great condition. I don't know. I think it's just like, it's just how he looks. But, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, but outside of that, like, let's get to, uh, let's, uh, we all, we still got to talk about Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma. And I, I'm going to say, let's talk about Josh Hart next, just because I know that people okay. really want to hear about Kuzma and we can save him as like the, the grand finale, because that that's another one that's, I think become polarizing after a rookie year where he was not polarizing at all. But let's talk about Josh Hart first. Okay. Yeah. So with, with Josh, I, I think, uh, like, I think my, my lead for that story was, it's really hard to find things that to, to dislike about Josh. Like he's such a cool guy and he's just so down to earth and, on the floor, he does so many things well. Like he he shoots a lot of threes. He attacks the rim a lot. He plays solid defense. It's like what you want from a guy in his role. But if we want him to take that like quote unquote next step, I think the next like logical move is to to work on that in between game because I think we saw last year with a lot of these Lakers once their three point shot percentage went down, they really struggle to find other ways to score or be efficient. And when the transition opportunities stopped with Josh last year, those were his two biggest areas of where he got his points from. So if he's not making his threes, he's not finishing at the rim. It's like he, there's nothing else he can really do. He's not a good playmaker yet. You don't want him running primary pick and roll. He's doesn't make the greatest decisions with the ball. So if he can kind of learn how to add like a runner, like I wrote about him adding like a possible runner or a floater, which is easier said than done, but if he can just add a counter to once guys close out on him, I think that really opens up his his overall ceiling as just like a three and D type player. I think he could become a more like multifaceted player that way. Well, see, this, this is where these musical chair shows are great because I learned something new about you today, and it's that you played in the NBA in the eighties because you just advocated that a player <laughs> needs to add a mid range jumper to get better. <laughs> It, it hurt my soul writing about him adding mid-range jumpers to his game because he's like I said he's he does everything like you want from an analytical yeah, I was side say, of the you're game. No, you're normally like Mr. <laughs> analytics, so like it was when I opened that up, I was like, wait, Alex is like, like, did he get hacked? He's advocating for more <laughs> mid-range jump. But no, I, I think that it's good. It was something that uh, Zach Lowe and Stan Van Gundy were talking about this on their most recent podcast that like sometimes when the game bogs down in the playoffs, you have to be able. Those are the best shots you're going to get because other teams know everything that you're going to run. They know all the ways that you generate threes and layups and sometimes you just have to take those shots and so having a counter is uh, is a really good thing especially if the lakers are actually going to make the playoffs this year like we all thought they would last year yeah exactly and uh i think with hart specifically if he he's going to be such a pivotal player for this team because he does so many things well on the floor like he could guard one through four even five sometimes and i think if they do get into the playoffs like you mentioned you want hart out there and don't have to worry about him being exploited for not being able to do anything but shoot threes and if he can just be able to attack a closeout or make a play out of that that keeps him on the floor longer and that gives the lakers an additional guy they can rely on in the playoffs and i think this summer they need to kind of have that in their back of their minds that we might be in the playoffs or hope to be in the playoffs next year how do we attack this summer with that in mind and so we don't get exploited in the playoffs like we've seen with some of these players are in on the grand stage right now where they're leaving guys open for three or they're they're playing them to attack the rim yeah. on a certain hand or something 
So we want these guys to be ready for that experience because for these guys, it's going to be their first playoffs ever. So I think they have to have that mindset heading into the summer. Yeah, I was I was disappointed you didn't go with get better at high fives. Although I guess like argue, <laughs> like the mid range is arguably more important in this case. I think Josh has a higher uh, high five percentage than a mid range oh, percentage God. at this point. All right, so <laughs> he definitely needs to work on that. Although it was crazy, he's taken what like I, I, how many did he take uh, last year? It was like uh, some insanely low number. 22 i wrote that down he took 22 yeah Yeah. it was 22 mid-range shots so like this is a small sample size so maybe he's actually like secretly really great at them but you know that that would be a good thing for him to add as long as it doesn't become like his bread and butter you just don't want it to go too far Mm -hmm. in the the wrong direction but he he is such a smart player i doubt he will do that as far as guys that probably could serve to cool it a little bit on the mid-range jumpers and go the opposite direction like mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma would be I guess like a decent candidate for that like as much as everything that we just said about the value of those shots in some context he he probably is a guy without looking at the numbers so I might be wrong on this but I feel like he does take maybe like a hair more of those than you would want uh yeah I, I think he maybe takes maybe the long twos a little more like more usual yeah. than you would like for a player to do like he doesn't thankfully he he is like josh and a lot of his baskets do come at the rim or from three which is what you want next to lebron you don't want guys uh, i guess like ingram who kind of takes up that mid-range paint and kind of clogs up that space but but he's at least efficient at yeah. the mid-range game now so that kind of helps that but with kuz i i think it is important for him to kind of the biggest thing, I think he just needs to get back to that those rookie numbers. Like, if he could just be a solid 37, 38% three-point shooter and continue to, like, prove that he's such a good guy to play off LeBron. Like, we saw that this year. He th- Those two those two chemistry was, like, evident right away how good they played off each other. So if he could just improve those incremental numbers everywhere, and I, I think he's a really good breakout, you know, target this year. I, I think he's still really underrated considering where he was drafted and what people expected from him coming into the into the league i think he could get back to to a lot of promising things so so this is the other one that i haven't read so did i guess at it is that it or what what is the one improvement that you think that coos needs to make and like how how would he make that so my thought process with coos was I think the main thing is for him to prove that he is LeBron's go-to target, and and by proving that, he has to show that he can be relied upon in these opportunities. Can specifically his catch and shoot threes, his open threes, his continued improvement in finishing it around the rim and cutting. And I think one thing I want to focus on with the Kuz piece is his pick and pop numbers and how that looks compared to Kevin Love in Cleveland. Because with Ty Lue coming in, he might yeah. play more of a Kevin Love role. And I don't know if he's ready to step into those footsteps yet. I mean, he obviously not. Kevin loves Kevin loves a really underrated player, and he's an all star for a reason and fantastic with LeBron to play off of. But Kuz might play a similar role in that spaced out front court offense that Ty Lue likes. And I think Kuz has to be ready to not only take those shots when they come his way, but make them and make quick decisions with them. So it all comes down again to him upping that three point percentage specifically on those wide open threes because i wrote about it a few times this year that he took a ton of wide open threes but just was really really poor at him yeah it was it was weird that he was like so bad because i think he was good during his rookie year at those right 
he was great. I think he was about a 38, 39%. And then he dropped down to about 32, 33 on wide open threes this year. So Yeah, and so it's yeah. like it, scoring is not the type of thing that you would expect to get Kyle Kuzma to have to improve given his reputation. But like, I guess yeah. it's, it's less just, it's not scoring in general. It's just these like wide open shots that I don't know, exactly. maybe he likes a little bit less because of how, you know, we know that he likes to play, which is like getting the ball and setting up his shots and things like that. But he is a really good off ball player at times. Like we've seen how it can work with, when it's going there was that game I believe it was against Detroit where he scored like I think 41 or something like that uh, earlier mm-hmm. this year and you know we've seen h- how great he can be in low usage in that like again uh, not comparing him to Clay Thompson but in that Clay Thompson style role of just running around and touching the ball very little but doing a whole lot of damage yeah. and it's just a matter of consistency I think with him yeah I agree like you said I, I think he's really valuable because he is such a low usage player and those are the types of guys you want next to LeBron and in this type of system. So I think if he could just kind of clean up those things around the edges and I mean, you would hope that he becomes a better defender. And like, I, I, I really considered writing a whole thing on him, just focusing on defense this summer, but I don't know how, realistic that yeah, is I'm, and how I'm, much say, I'm glad you didn't do that because like you know it yeah. would be nice if like lebron added you know steph curry range on a consistent <laughs> basis but you know like there there are certain things you can realistically hope for and I exactly think made the right call yeah so if he could just fill those footsteps and be optimized in the role he's probably going to play i think that's that'll go a long way for this team yeah i i agree and so normally this is the part where i tell people like okay like this is great like do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here but i think we just spent like 20 minutes plugging your neck uh, <laughs> your next series so i think we took care of that so alex thank you very much for coming on on short notice on a sunday you're actually you're playing hurt so uh like <laughs> as far as you know dealing with a cold right now so i really appreciate you taking some time to hop on the silver screen roll podcast with us where can people you know you can find his upcoming series at silverscreenroll.com but where can people find you on social media um and uh yeah well, what are you what are you most excited about for uh this summer as far as just coverage and everything uh yeah you guys can follow me on alex m regla on twitter and then yeah like harrison said the pre the series should be out on silver screen roll sometime this week uh for this summer I, i'm really excited what this site's gonna produce like you said like you've mentioned in the slack and on twitter like for this type of coverage that the site's going to get for a team that's not in the playoffs, we're really going to produce a lot of good content. Like I've seen this stuff that's coming down the pipe and everything. And it's, it's really good coverage for a team that's not even in the playoffs and kind of, it's a good refreshing take on, on a team that it's not just trade rumors or coaching rumors. There is really good, thoughtful coverage coming out of silver screen roll. So I'm just really excited to read what, everyone on the staff is going to produce that was a solid attempt to get a raise that was really good um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate yeah. the effort there um we know what you don't have to improve on as a young writer this summer oh okay yeah well I, i'll still try to improve on that part too <laughs> but yeah <laughs> okay alex thank you again for coming on everyone this has been the silver screen and roll podcast we will be back at it with two new hosts on wednesday as we continue this monday wednesday friday schedule throughout the off season i hope you enjoyed this again you can subscribe on itunes spotify anywhere podcasts are bought sold and downloaded and uh, we will talk to you next time thanks for tuning in bye